what is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 14 of All Say This with Chris Castellani. I am your host, Chris Castellani. We got a lot to talk about. We got a really juicy show today full of rich vitamins and nutrients, and we're going to start with the NFL draft. Probably the big news of the week. The Detroit Lions, which I saw somebody send out a tweet yesterday that said the Super Bowl for the Lions is the draft, and sadly, that's <laughs> that's probably true, but for the first round, I think this was a very successful draft for the Detroit Lions, and we're going to start with the number two pick, and with the number two pick, the Lions took edge rusher out of the University of Michigan, number 97, Aiden Hutchinson. Now, I can't deny the fact that there is a massive personal element to this. If you're watching this on YouTube, or if you've seen the show at all, you know that right behind me, there is a photo of Mr. Trey Burke. Trey Burke is my king. Trey Burke is my number one all-time favorite University of Michigan athlete. In second place is Aiden Hutchinson. That man last year brought me so much joy. I loved watching him play at Michigan. Really, I, I, I thought he was good throughout his entire tenure. I know that there's people who try to argue, he only had one good season. No, he only had one transcendent season, but he was solid all the way through. It's just that he never really shined until last year when he was fully healthy. He would have been the dude in 2020, but you know, he got injured. So, didn't matter. Nobody cared. But he came back in 2021, broke Michigan's all-time record for sacks in a season, finished second for the Heisman. So I, I am personally very happy. But as I said in the blog that I wrote, that I would not be championing this pick if I didn't feel like Aiden Hutchinson added something to the Lions organization. I'm not somebody who's just going to blindly cheer for a guy who went to a school that I rooted for to get selected. I, I Once they leave college, whatever. You know, I, I love Duncan Robinson, right? He's been an amazing story for the Heat. But if somebody would have asked me uh, after 2018, should the Pistons draft Duncan Robinson? I said no. Now, obviously, he proved himself, but I, I leave that stuff at the door the second these guys leave college. But I can tell you, if Aiden Hutchinson stays healthy, knock on wood that he does, this guy can be somebody who is, this is hard to say for an edge rusher, but is a face of the franchise, face of the culture type of guy for Detroit. I think he's a prototypical type of player that Dan Campbell is looking for. Having watched every snap of his career, I can guarantee you this. Aiden Hutchinson has an insane motor. The guy's not going to take any plays off. The guy's going to bring 100 million percent energy every single game. He's competitive as hell. All he cares about is competing. All he cares about is winning. And look, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But the one thing about Hutch that I think makes him so appealing, not just to the Lions, but to a lot of teams, why he shot up draft boards pretty early in his senior season at Michigan is the fact that he's he is unproblematic. And maybe you say that's not fair. Maybe you say, hey, talent is what matters. You draft talent. That's what you got to do. I understand that. But when you look at the Lions draft picks over the last, <laughs> I mean, I, I look at my lifetime, but really over the last 20 years since the Matt Millen era, they've drafted some guys who you've gotten the impression did not have football as their number one priority during the game. I mean, you look at guys like Charles Rogers. You look at guys like Eric Ebron. You look at guys like, I'm sorry, even Ndamukong Sue. Like, Ndamukong Sue was a wonderful, wonderful player. Probably might end up being a Hall of Famer, right? Will he be? I don't know. I, I should do some research. I think Ndamukong Sue might be a Hall of Famer. He's an all-pro defensive end. These guys were headaches. And every time you heard about him, it seemed like it didn't have anything to do 
with football. I heard more stories about Indomitian Sue doing weird stuff, more stories about Indomitian Sue getting suspended, getting you know getting penalized for late hits, stomping on people's chests uh, than I did him you know, performing on the field, which is a shame because he was a wonderful player. He didn't do himself uh, any service in, in Detroit. And obviously, you know, him being on on bad teams uh, didn't help anybody's case. But I think with Hutch, you have a very safe pick, and that is totally fine with me from what I've heard and from by what I've heard I'm hearing from Stephen Shea who's the the you know NFL draft guy at Barstool the one negative is short arms other than that people say it's a safe pick he has all the intangibles maybe he doesn't turn out to be the epic superstar that people are hoping for but the Lions don't sack anybody they were I believe 31st in sacks last year this is a team that's trying to build a culture of toughness and you can't claim to be tough when you're not getting to the quarterback Aiden Hutchinson will get to the quarterback so this is actually very exciting now with their second pick the Lions out of nowhere traded up and drafted Jamison Williams wide receiver out of Alabama had a monster year last year does have one issue which is that he's won ACL surgery into his career has had some injury problems but I was very surprised by this you know I've claimed many times that I'm not the biggest draft guy but no, if you're on Twitter, you see this stuff. And I heard a lot of names thrown around. Jamison Williams was not one of them. And we have a lot of draft left, obviously. We have six more rounds. Who knows what the Lions are going to do next. But through their first two picks in the first round of this year's draft, I continue to like what Brad Holmes is doing, which is they aren't repeating the mistakes that they made in the Stafford era. And look, we love Stafford. Stafford, you know, busted his ass here and they didn't give him a whole lot uh, to, to, to play with. But I think that if you had to do that draft all over again, as much as we like Stafford, it would have been more advantageous to build around the future and then get your quarterback. Because as good as Stafford was, and it's not his fault, it always felt like they were playing from behind. I look at this team right now, and you have Hutch, and you have Jamison Williams, and you have Amon Ross St. Brown, and you have Penny Sewell, and you have DeAndre Swift. I'm seeing a team with some legitimately talented players. Now, it's a remarkably incomplete team. You have a long ways to go, and guess what? There's six more rounds in the draft, so good on you. Hopefully, Brad Holmes can make some more magic happen, but I like these picks. This is a theory I've had, and people will disagree with me on this. I don't believe drafting is actually that hard. In other sports, yes. Like in baseball, definitely. If you draft a 17-year-old, you have no idea what that guy's body is going to look like when he's 24 or 25. But in the NFL, when you have five months in between the last game and the draft, I think more often than not, teams overthink. And I'm not seeing any overthinking here by Brad Holmes. And that does excite me. It's like, wow, the smartest guy in the room actually works for the Lions finally. And again, look. It's the draft. It's it is. It's always a roll of the dice. No matter how high a, a guy's ceiling or floor is, there's always you know issues. You always wonder if somebody's not going to pan out. But I look at these two picks in the first round and I say, hey, thumbs up. I think a lot of GMs would have made this this same decision. And I'm not to a point yet in which I'm excited about Lions football because they have a long ways to go before I'm in their good graces. Right? I mean, we've seen decades of ineptitude so I'm not gonna say like hey we're there we're moving forward forward down the field I'm not doing that nonsense but I think that the right moves two years now into this rebuild and there's still six rounds left in this draft are being made so good for Brad Holmes good for the Lions and good for Detroit Uh, we're gonna move on to something a little bit more depressing and the fact that I can use the term more depressing after talking about the Detroit Lions (sighs) Tough times, buddy boy. Tough times. 
The Detroit Tigers are 6-12. and They're absolutely scuffling right now. They lost Tuesday's game on one of the most embarrassing plays I've seen by a major league team ever. Got shut out on Wednesday and then yesterday, uh, a 7-1 ball game where they showed a, a defensive display that a, a third-grade uh, peewee team would look at and go, dude, what, what the hell is your problem? It, it, it was embarrassing. It was pathetic. And before I jump into any of this, man, I truly hope that two months from now I can look back on these rants and say, hey, man, we that was a much ado about nothing. They they knew what they were doing the whole time. They turned it around. They got healthy. And yeah, you know, they're not very good, but they're competitive, right? They're hovering around 500. They're going to have a shot. You know, maybe late in the season we will watch some meaningful baseball. That's my hope. Right now, and I said it in the video, the postgame video I made yesterday, uh, you're not crazy for thinking that the sky is falling down. This team is playing really, really terrible baseball. And as much as I have loved and sang the praises of A.J. Hinch, I disagree with his rhetoric over the last several days. Now, I can tell watching him in the press conferences, he's furious. Like, I feel like when, when you know, Petzold and McCoskey and Johnny Kane leave the leave the press box, uh, or really, it's, it's not even a press box, it's just kind of, you know, his, his little room there, um, he's throwing things across the room. I would like to see that a little bit more. Because I get it, it's a long, long season, but as a fan, I would like to hear some, hey, we can't do this. This isn't acceptable. And one thing that makes AJ so good at what he does, admittedly, is the fact that he's so even keel. I've sang his praises in the past because of that, but this is one of those instances after these last three games, I don't understand how you can't be upset. Like, say what you will about Jim Leland, but Jim Leland knew when to bring out the flamethrower. He knew when to get pissed, and I think the fans, especially early in his tenure, really connected with him because of that. But A.J. Hinch is the least of this team's concerns. Right now, this team cannot hit a baseball, and I'm going to start with the offense, because I'm actually, this is going to shock you, I'm going to come to the defense of Alavila and Chris Illich to a certain extent. Now, before you get out the torches of pitchforks, hear me out. I applauded management and the front office for the offseason they had. I like Baez. I like Erod. I like Austin Meadows. I think those are players that made this team better. And while I think Generally, most people say that this was an offseason that was a B-minus to a B, when in reality, we desperately hoped and were expecting an A to an A+. I, I get that. And if you feel like they didn't do enough, I think that's a more than fair argument. But at a certain point, you do have to hold, offensively at least, you do have to hold these players' feet to the fire. Last year, Jamer Candelario was good. Jonathan Scope was good. Eric Haas and Akil Badu were good. Those were four players that you come into this season relying on, hoping that they would at least repeat their success. I guess the worst of it would that would be that they would maybe be a little bit worse than they were a year ago, and they've fallen off the face of the earth. Jammer Candelario cannot hit a breaking ball to save his life right now. Now again, early. Who knows how this thing's going to play out? I get all of that. I'm not getting my panties in a bunch completely. I do think these guys are good major league ball players, but we could talk all we want about how the front office didn't do enough. The front office didn't do enough. The front office didn't do enough. The players aren't doing enough offensively to carry their weight. You come into the season expecting that these guys are going to produce, and right now through 18 games, they're not. They look really bad. In fact, again, coming to the defense of management here, who have been the good players? Baez and Meadows. 
Those are the two guys that you added. The guys that you expected would come back and be as good as they were last year aren't aren't showing up right now. Offensively, it's hard for me to get super mad at the front office. Now, here's where I'm going to win y'all back. Because the big problem that I had with this team, and I should have talked about it more. I regret not talking about it more. The big issue I had with this team coming into this year is that for a team that is legitimately one of the youngest teams in baseball, they are remarkably unathletic. And you saw that on full display on Thursday when they made four errors. When you look around the diamond at the everyday players on this baseball team, let's forget Derek Hill because Derek Hill is not an everyday guy. He's a platoon guy. He's a guy who fills in when somebody needs a day off. I'm talking about the everyday guys that you can pencil into the lineup, pending health, 130 to 140 games a year. There is one guy who grades out to be a plus defender that you can definitively say is a plus defender. That's Javier Baez. Javier Baez is legitimately a rock-solid 8, 9 out of 10 defensive shortstop. Really good. Scope at second? Okay. He's had his good years. He's had his not-so-good years. He is aging. Made a few nice plays yesterday. If you want to give me scope, I'll give you scope. Fine. Torkelson, could he become a good uh, defensive first baseman? Maybe, but he's a rookie. Uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's not his fault, but who cares right now? We want to win games right now. So you can't say he's a plus defender and he doesn't play a premium defensive position. Jamer Candelario on his best day is just average. He's subpar. For the most part, he's probably a negative defender. You go to the outfield, Meadows, not a plus defender. Badu, not a plus defender. Victor Reyes, when he's healthy, not a plus defender. Robbie Grossman, not a plus defender. People people raved. Oh my God, they raved when, when they traded for Tucker Barnhart. This guy's a gold glover. He's one of the best uh, d- defensive catchers in all of baseball, and maybe he is, but 18 games into the season, we haven't seen it. And that that is the big failure of Avila and Illich's tenure, at least as it pertains to this season. This team is unathletic. I, I listen, I bring up the Michael K show all the time in New York, but they bring up almost every day how unathletic the Yankees are. But the Yankees at least improved. Like, Judge is a good defender, and Gallo, even though I think he stinks, is a good defender. And you do have guys who are plus defenders around the diamond, and yet even they don't grade out to be a a phenomenal defensive team. And they still have three, four guys who are good defenders. This team has one or two. I mean, if Barnhart figures it out, fine. Then you have two guys out of nine. How can you expect to... Build a rebuild around young starting pitching if you are giving these young starting pitchers nothing to work with. Yesterday was as embarrassing as it got. I said in my video, I thought Tarek Skubal threw the ball pretty well. He gave up six runs. Only three of them earned. But it should have been more because that second inning that he was in when they fell down 2 nothing, that inning should have been over. Harold Castro fielded a routine ground ball at third and fell down. And Torkelson still should have made the play. That should have been an error. That shouldn't be an earned run. There are things that I've seen from this baseball team that I do believe will get fixed. I do think, ultimately, and I know it's like pulling teeth right now. I get it. I do think that guys like Jamer and Scope are going to come around a little bit. I think by the end of the year, they're going to look like, nobody buys baseball cards anymore, but they're going to look like, you know, what the stats look like on a baseball reference page. But one issue that will plague them for the rest of the season, they're not good defensively. You know, maybe Barnhart finds it. I bet he he might. He probably will. But you look around that diamond, there's not a whole lot of guys that you can rely on. And when you go back and watch teams that have won the World Series or made deep runs in the playoffs over the last several years. You know, they say championships are won up the middle, but I'll be damned if it's not true. 
You know, teams have had Correa and Altuve and Baez, Addison Russell. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about teams that have had some legit studs, both offensively and defensively. And if this lineup isn't going to carry its weight, then you got to win games with your pitching. And it's hard to win games with your pitching when your defense can't field a ground ball. You understand yesterday on four separate occasions, they could not field what were relatively routine ground balls. It's a problem. It's a problem. All the other stuff about the rebuild and where the team is at, I talked about it in my postgame videos the other day. I was I was embarrassed uh, watching them play. And, and it's not an effort thing, like I said. It's not a leadership thing. But um, if this is going to continue, we're going to be talking about a team that 40 games into the year, we're going to say they got nothing to play for except for pride. Now, last year they didn't either. And ultimately they played for pride. And they kind of turned things around late in the year. That won't fly in 2022. It won't. There were expectations for this team, not overly high expectations, but expectations nonetheless. This this is pathetic. This isn't going to play. Now, th- this is Tigers-related as well, but it's more Detroit sports-related. The Tigers obviously lost a game on Tuesday in as ridiculous a fashion as you'll ever see. Uh, it, I, I will go out on a limb and say it's the worst ending to a baseball game that we're going to see all season. And of course, it came from Detroit. But when a moment like that happens, I try to think of better days. And I asked myself a question. I'm going to ask all of you this question as well. When was the last time that a professional sports team in Detroit, we're going to exclude Michigan and Michigan State, who in fairness to both those schools, whether it be football or basketball, have, you know, have shown up. You know, they've made deep runs and and won championships. When was the last time a professional sports team in Detroit had a moment that you looked at and you went, wow, that team can win the whole thing? Now, I'm not saying they did, right? But I'm not talking about maybe they can make the playoffs. I mean, a moment that you looked at and you went, you th- this team can win the entire thing. Now, I remember in 2016, the Cubs got off to this amazing start. And obviously, everyone took it with a grain of salt. You know, it's been 108 years. And Javi Baez, now a Tiger, of course, homered off of Blake Trinan in the 12th inning on Mother's Day for a walk-off shot. And I remember looking at that and being like, wow, this is real now. The Chicago Cubs can win the whole thing. And they did, right? And some teams don't. Some teams come up short. But when was the last moment of true hope that we had? Not talking about draft picks. I'm not talking about getting Cade. I'm not talking about getting Torque or Riley Green or Aiden Hutchinson. I'm talking about actual moments that matter, that we looked at and went, this team can win the whole thing. And I I sifted through my Rolodex of memories. And the first one that came to mind, and I think I'm right, was Rajay Davis's grand slam off of Sean Doolittle in 2014. Tigers were down 4-1, I believe. Sean Doolittle hung a breaking ball. Rajay crushed it. The Tigers walked off the team that they'd beaten in the postseason the two previous years. They were in first place at the time. We we looked and went, wow, they can win it. Now, we know how that ended, right? They got swept by the Orioles in that series, but at least in that moment, you looked at it and went, wow. That's a World Series championship caliber moment. That's a moment that if they make the World Series DVD at the end of the year, that game's going to be featured on it. When was the last time we had one of those? Because that was eight years ago. I had just finished up high school. I mean, I'm I'm not young, but I'm sure as hell not old either. The fact that we've gone eight years without a moment of true hope that we've looked at and gone, that team can win the whole thing. That's brutal because the Red Wings have not had a moment. I know they made the playoffs, but really, when they blew the 3-1 lead to the Blackhawks, I believe it was either 2012 or 2013, their window closed. I mean, I know they they kept the the playoff streak alive for a little bit, but they weren't going to win the Cup. The Lions, I never believed it. Even when people say, oh, that 2014 team, they had Super Bowl caliber potential. No, they didn't. They're still the Lions. Pistons, 
You know, they, they haven't won a playoff game since since George W's second term. So, no, that doesn't count. Who else is there? That is brutal, guys. That is So, for anyone who says, like, ah, you know, Detroit fans, maybe, you know, maybe they're turning a corner eight years without a moment like that. Eight years without genuinely believing, yeah, that team can win it. I want you to look at every major sports city in America, even teams that haven't won a championship. All of them have had a moment that they've looked at and gone, all right, we're in this. We can win this. Houston's had it. New York's had it. Boston's had it. Cleveland's had it. Phoenix has had it. Atlanta's had it. Uh, everyone, Everyone's had it. Uh, Memphis. Freaking Memphis. You watch John Morant put his balls in that guy's mouth the other night in a dunk. I'm sure they had a moment like that. There has not been a moment like that in Detroit in eight years. Two presidential terms. Nothing. That's rough, man. That's rough. And, and so for anyone who's like trying to deny that these, these fans have it tough, I don't know. I think people try to wonder, hey, is Detroit turning a corner? Is Are things getting better uh, for Detroit sports fans? They are by virtue of the fact that they can't get any worse. But I don't think things will officially be like, you know, on the up and up until we have a moment in which we can say that team can win the whole thing. And I don't know where it's going to come from. I lean towards the wings just because of Iserman, but who knows? Right now, we have a baseball team that can't field a ground ball, so to even be uh, c- contemplating championships is... they. Uh, all right, lastly but not leastly, I want to talk about something that's picked up a little bit of steam over the last few days and even you know the last week or so, and that's that uh, Amani Bates, former Michigan State commit, former top recruit, five-star recruit who played a year at Memphis and is currently in the transfer portal. There have been some whispers and even a photo. Uh, Producer Matt, if you would, post that photo here uh, in a second. I'd appreciate it. With Juwan Howard. And there have been some rumblings about the idea that Amani Bates may want to come to Michigan. Now, before I get into Amani, the stove was red hot regarding Terrence Shannon, Texas Tech transfer, coming to Michigan about a week ago. Admissions have gotten in the way. Um, I think that is an absolute disgrace, quite frankly. This is a guy who's a difference maker, and um, if he doesn't come to Michigan and ends up going to a rival school or a Big Ten school, that is a, that is a failure on Michigan's part, to be completely honest with you. That guy can really play. But beyond that, Michigan is going to grab somebody out of the transfer portal. I'm very confident with that. And I was not entertaining the notion of Amani Bates coming to Michigan for a long time. But it is it is newsworthy. People have talked about it. So let's discuss it. I'm not going to reveal any information uh, because I don't want to, you know, I just, I just don't feel comfortable doing that yet. Based on everything that I've heard, and some of this stuff is public, like Brendan Quinn, who for my money is the best sports writer in the state of Michigan, said that there's nothing to this. I don't believe Amani Bates is coming to Michigan. I think this is a lot of smoke and almost no fire. I don't think Michigan is that interested in having Amani Bates come to Michigan. And look, if something happens and he comes to U of M, despite all the criticism I've had, in fact, I think I even said on the show about a month ago, that dude can't play. Um, I'd root for him, obviously. He'd be a part of my team. He'd be a part of the team that I root for, that I want to see win every game and be successful. And if he did something great at Michigan, I'd admit I was wrong, and I would I would sing his praises. I am not beyond uh, praising anyone, even people that I've been incredibly critical of. Um, my biggest reasoning behind not wanting him to be at U of M 
is I haven't seen anything from him that makes me believe he's very good. I think that he's a guy who was extremely highly rated his sophomore, junior years of high school, who has not gotten particularly better. Uh, I think when you look at the transfer portal, the guys that you go to are your automatic guys. Like Chondi Brown, that's an automatic guy. You plug in Chondi Brown into any lineup in America in 2021, and that, that team immediately gets better. That's a... Uh, no pun intended. That's a slam dunk guy, right? So I, I don't, I don't see that with Amani. Ceiling is high, obviously. Like you don't become a five star recruit on accident. I acknowledge that, but I don't see it. I don't know if he would make the team better. And beyond that, look, I think last year's Michigan basketball team, a lot of this is self inflicted, dealt with a whole lot of BS. And like I said, I think a lot of that was their own fault, and a lot of that was their coach's fault. You know, the slap became a national news story with Juwan getting suspended. And even if Amani Bates is an incredible talent, uh, you have enough distractions. Because truthfully, and I like Juwan, and I think Juwan is a good egg and a good coach and a good man, but next year, every time this team goes on the road, the the opposing student section, the opposing fan base is going to try to get a rise out of them, and people are going to be put the microscope on them and watch them closely and say, is he going to, you know, is he going to freak out again? Is he going to slap somebody again? Like, that will be a thing. And while I have full faith that Juwan is not going to act up because I think that he's learned his lesson, uh, that's, that is admittedly a built-in distraction. Sorry. It, it sucks. And, and I think if the team is good, nobody's going to care. But that does matter. To have a second distraction in Amani Bates would be, uh, I, to me, just uh, adding more fuel to the fire here. I think that one thing this team will need next year is to be really quiet. Last, last year's team preseason made a lot of noise. Top five team. Everyone's hyping them up. And hey, if Musa and Caleb come back, or even if just one of them comes back, they're probably going to have a similar hype this year. But... Uh, not not to borrow from Jim Harbaugh, but I think being in the submarine this offseason would help. Get the players that you believe are best for your culture, best for your coach, and best for your program. I don't think Amani fits into that, to be honest. And I think he'll go somewhere and be good if they want him, or he'll test the G League and, and see if he can succeed there. But right now, it's it's just too much of a headache and too much of a gamble. I don't play a lot of cards, but it'd be the equivalent of like, at the blackjack table, you hit on 19. Like, yes, you could get a two, but at the same time, like, the the, the risk there is is pretty massive. And so I'm against it. If he comes to Michigan, I'm going to root for him. Absolutely. I'll cheer him on. I hope he's really successful. But for the record, based on what I've heard, this is not really a thing. But it is it is admittedly a fun little news story to talk about because of the Michigan State connection. All right. Well, um, I think we covered everything we need to cover. Tigers obviously going to Los Angeles for a three-game set starting tonight, which, you know, as much as I love baseball, I'm not super looking forward to. I guess, I don't know, I, I like, I, I've said before, I like peeling back the curtain a little bit. Um, and I like talking about some, you know, inside baseball, inside barstool stuff. I was on money shots and it looks like Megan confirmed that, uh, I will be, um, permanently a member of that show on Mondays talking about baseball. Uh, I, I really enjoy being on that show. I, there hypothetically, I'm not saying I've done this, but there was a little moment at the end of uh, the last episode of money shots that I, again, this is hypothetical that I hypothetically have watched like a hundred times because it, it, my heart grew like three sizes. And Chris, he's just the best guy ever. So make sure you're going and liking and don't get embarrassed, Chris. I can see you're getting red. Don't get embarrassed. You're just Thanks. still trying to make eye contact with you to keep everyone in the comments happy. <laughs> 
Thank you, Megan. Yes, man. Come on. We love you here. And we can't we can't thank you enough for joining us on Mondays and giving us your breakdown. Truthfully, um, and, and I'm not just, you know, trying to carry water, but I'm I continue to be extremely impressed by the way that uh, my coworkers at Barstool have treated me since uh, I got hired. So uh, we're going to uh, lose the sap here for a minute and end the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. While you're at it, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get those watch hours up, up, up. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. So subscribe, like, comment, review, all those platforms. And uh, let us know what you think. Spread the word. Uh, I really want to get this thing growing. Um, I, I, I'm open about when I feel like my content hasn't been working. And quite frankly, I think the last week or two has been, yeah. But this show, this show was good. Yesterday's post-game video was good. This show was good. So um, hopefully we're moving in the right direction again. Thank you very much for watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. I'll be back here with a show on Monday. Peace and happiness.